Before we begin, I want to note that this show is not a substitute for therapy or treatment of any kind. We are not licensed mental health professionals, and our only qualifications are our own experiences and opinions. If you do need professional help, there will be resources in the description below, and also featured at the end of the show. Hey, that rhymes. You're listening to the Fine I'm Not Fine podcast. I'm Alyssa, and today I'm recording solo. This episode is a very special episode dedicated to telling my mental health story. I'd like to preface it with trigger warnings, of course. This story includes mentions of bullying, suicidal ideations, and some other traumatic situations. Having said that, please do not continue listening if you can't handle these topics. Wow. Okay, I'm really doing this. This doesn't feel real at all. Okay, Alyssa, breathe. You can do this. I honestly don't know where to start. I have so much to cover in so little time, but I'm going to try my best to cram it all into one episode. This kind of reminds me of the first time I was in therapy and they asked me to tell them about myself. I was kind of hesitant to open up at first because I was worried about oversharing, but they told me that I was in a safe space and I could share as much or as little as I felt comfortable. And it was my time, just like it is now. Before I start, there's a quote by Anne Lamott that I wanted to share. She said, you own everything that happened to you. Tell your stories. If people wanted you to speak warmly about them, they would have behaved better. You see, I've always wanted to tell my story in the hopes that it would change someone else's life. The reason why it took me a while to sit down and record this is because I had to get over the anxiety I felt about painting certain individuals in a bad light. Obviously, the intention of telling my stories, not to trash anyone, but to talk about the things that contributed to how I got to where I am today. At the end of the day, my story is my story to tell, and I've decided that it's not my job to protect those people anymore. Having said that, I don't feel so guilty sharing what I'm about to share with all of you. Now, without further ado, this is my story. I'm just going to come out and say it. My childhood kind of sucked. But before we get into that, I want to make something very clear. I don't blame my parents for the statement at all. They did their best, but there's only so much that they could control of the outside world. Don't get me wrong, I have a lot of wonderful memories, but I'm going to be honest. A lot of my memories are extremely painful to look back on, even after years of talking through them in therapy. I was the weird, ugly, fat girl in school. People were constantly making comments about my weight, my looks, even the way that I behaved. The other girls would be nice to my face, but then would talk behind my back. The boys, however, would straight up say it to my face. And here's the kicker. It wasn't just the other kids, but their parents too. I remember when they would check our height and weight, and they would announce my weight loudly in front of the other kids, then tell me later in private that I should tell my mom that I wanted to go on a diet. I didn't tell my parents about that until recently because I was really embarrassed at the time. I mean, who wouldn't be? Looking back on it, should have been those mothers that should have been embarrassed. I wasn't even fully grown yet. While this had quite the impact on my self-esteem going forward, I tried not to let it get to me. Sure, it made me kind of sad, but I wouldn't say it made me depressed. However, I do believe this is the time when my anxiety started to manifest. The thing is though, if you had asked anyone to describe me during that time, they probably would have told you that I was a happy kid without a care in the world. Turns out that I just hid it very well. I guess I believed at a young age that it was better for everyone if I just hid how I really felt with the hopes that it would go away. It wasn't, and it didn't. 
The bullying continued into high school. Different people, but the same hurtful words. You'd think that my bullies would find something other than my size to pick on me about, but I guess that's all they could come up with, hoping that it would strike a nerve. And it did, but like all the times in the past, I acted like it didn't bother me, of course. Then I would go home, quietly shut my door, and cry. This was about the time I started experiencing depression symptoms, as well as having suicidal ideations. I really didn't understand why people had to be so cruel to me. All I was doing was existing. Why did it matter to them that I was taking up a little more space in the world? One of the biggest regrets I have is that I wish I had been more open with my parents about the bullying, but I couldn't bring myself to tell them about it because I didn't want them to worry about me. Finally, I decided I had had enough and confided in a teacher I trusted the most. And you know what she advised me to do? Bully them back. Let me repeat that one for the ones in the back. She told me to bully them back. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to nominate this woman for teacher of the goddamn year. Yeah, so obviously that was one of the worst pieces of advice I've ever received. Instead, I decided to force myself to keep trekking on like everything was fine. But the bullying got worse. Then one day I found myself walking into our school's office to find someone who could escalate the issue. Unfortunately for me, the bully who had been tormenting me was a child of a faculty member. And the only thing that they could do was offer me the option to graduate early, which meant I would not be able to walk the stage with my friends. After carefully considering their offer, I decided that I would not let this asshole, or any other asshole for that matter, hold any power over me ever again. I was going to continue to go to school even if it meant that I had to see his stupid face every day until we graduated. To my relief, the bullying thankfully came to a screeching halt. The problem was though is that my struggle with my mental health did not. My anxiety was constantly through the roof and it made getting through my classes extremely difficult, which in turn made me more depressed. What was wrong with me? Why was I like this? The longer I went untreated, the worse it got. It was then that I started slowly opening up to my friends who suggested I seek professional help. So I did. I was diagnosed with general anxiety disorder and major depression, and I started secretly taking an anti-anxiety medication. I started to feel better, which gave me the confidence to finally ask out my high school crush. I honestly don't know what it was about her, but I was strongly drawn to her from day one. We almost immediately became exclusive after our first date. The funny thing is, we didn't make sense. We were complete opposites. I was shy. She was super outgoing. I was a homebody. She liked to party. I was conservative about my sexuality. She was out and proud. I didn't care though. She was my first love who I was certain was the one I was meant to be with for the rest of my life. Little did I know, this was the furthest from the truth. At some point, I stopped taking my anti-anxiety medication. My parents found them one day and took them away, saying I didn't need them because there was nothing wrong with me. They also told me that they didn't approve of my new relationship. This sent me into a huge mental downward spiral because as someone who had been struggling silently all this time, it hurt to be told that there's nothing wrong with me when clearly there was. They didn't know that though because again, I had spent most of my life hiding the truth. Things quickly escalated to an us against them situation. I became blinded by the overwhelming hurt and resentment I felt, and I decided to move out. To this day, my parents haven't forgiven me for leaving as abruptly as I did, and blame her for convincing me to leave. I understand where they're coming from, but what I wish they would understand is that I freely chose to leave on my own, and it really upset me that they assumed that the only reason I left was due to being manipulated by somebody else. After moving out, I thought my mental health would improve significantly. Boy, was I wrong. If anything, it made things even worse. 
The fact that I had spent my entire life up until that point as a part of a close family unit and then was suddenly independent was extremely scary. I honestly didn't know life outside having a family to help guide me through things. Felt surreal, but at the same time, it opened up a whole world of possibilities for me. I was now free to do whatever I wanted to do. Even though I was allowed doesn't necessarily mean I did though. If anything, my crippling anxiety prevented me from doing anything too wild or crazy. And for that, I'm kind of grateful. We spent a couple months living at her parents' house, which was honestly uncomfortable to say the least. Don't get me wrong, her family was kind to me, but we shared a room with her sister, which made for awkward times. We eventually decided it would be best to move out into our own place and found a studio guest house. At that point, I had not only dropped out of college, but I was also unemployed. I felt like such a failure and a burden because I was depending on her to provide for the two of us. She constantly assured me that it was all worth it at the end of the day, though. I tried to believe her, but just couldn't. It's kind of funny how your mind plays tricks on you when you have untreated depression. She doesn't really love you. Why would she? You're pathetic. She's going to leave you for sure. I spent my days mostly home alone. When she wasn't at school, she was at work. Her hours were almost always closing shifts, and I always fell asleep before she got home. I felt so alone. When I told her this, her solution was to adopt a kitten to keep me company. We went to a local rescue and adopted a gray tabby named Simba. I like to call him Bubba. The problem was that he became so much more attached to her than me and would cry for hours when she left, making me feel even worse than I did than when I was alone. She decided that we should get another kitten, so we adopted Bonnie. Though Bonnie was technically my cat, I felt somewhat of a disconnect from her. I had never actually owned a cat before, and I guess I was expecting the love I had always known with a dog. So when I didn't get that, it made me even sadder. Her next solution? Get me a puppy. That was sure to make me happy. And it did, for a little while anyway. At that point, we decided that our place was getting a little too crowded and that we needed to move into a bigger place. I had spoken to a friend who said she and her boyfriend were looking to move into an apartment together and she asked me if we would be interested in becoming roommates. We were. We all moved in together with another friend and for the first time in a long time, I didn't feel so alone. At this point, it felt as if my depression was slowly subsiding and for a short period, I thought maybe, just maybe, things were actually going to get better. Life was good until it wasn't. We started fighting with my friend and her boyfriend. The roommate drama started becoming way too much for me, and at the start of any sort of confrontation with them, I would walk out. I fell into a deeper depression, a place so dark that I never thought was even possible for me to go. It's as if a switch had been flipped on me. It felt like I was constantly on autopilot. I felt numb, became absent. I didn't really feel like doing anything anymore. I isolated myself from all of my family and friends. I spent most of my days holed up in a room, not eating much and not showering for days at a time. I had no more aspirations or things to look forward to anymore. I felt absolutely no joy whatsoever. The light in my eyes that was once there was now gone. I felt hopeless, and I knew at that point I had hit rock bottom. I was a shell of a person now. I would repeatedly tell her that I was miserable, that I hated how things were, and I threatened to commit suicide multiple times. I didn't really want to die. I just wanted the pain to end. She told me every time she stepped out, even for a moment, she worried that one day she would come home to me dead on the floor. And yet day in and day out, she did nothing. I don't think she knew how to help me really, or maybe like my depression monster convinced me, she didn't actually care about me. Either way, I was really starting to resent her. Then one night, I just snapped. She walked through the door after work and I just exploded, then proceeded to have the worst panic attack I've ever had in my entire life. 
I honestly thought I was going to die because it was that intense. I suddenly had the urge to leave her. I wanted to go back to my parents' house. They were only a few blocks away. I could walk there. I know it was late, but I needed to get out of there, and they wouldn't mind. I wanted to apologize for everything I had done and put them through. I wanted this nightmare of a life to end. I wanted to go home. I told her I needed to leave, and this whole relationship was a mistake. But when I went to the door, she stood in front of it, blocking my way. She started sobbing that I had promised that I would never leave her. I fell to my knees, and with tears running down my face, I said the one thing I should have said years ago. I need help. I woke up in a haze the next day. I was alone yet again. Had last night been a dream? Then our bedroom door flung open unexpectedly. Her parents were in front of me now, yelling in my face. They were saying words, but none of it was making sense to me. I didn't deserve her. I was disrespectful. I was a user, abuser, and a master manipulator. And if I didn't get my act together, they would be taking her away from me for good. Then as quickly as they came, they left. All I could think about was the fact that I had finally asked for help, and this is what I received. This was definitely some bullshit. I should have left her last night. I didn't deserve this treatment at all. She was the one who had been constantly abandoning me. The door swung open again. Who could it be now? It was my mom. She told me to get dressed and that my dad was waiting outside in the car. I was confused, but also somewhat relieved. What was going on? I sure as hell didn't know. When I got in the car, they started telling me what they knew and that they were going to help me get the help I needed because they loved me and that they would do anything for me. I began to cry. I told them I was sorry. The next couple of days were very much a blur, but ultimately it was decided that I would be moving back in with my parents and taking some time away from my girlfriend. She promised to text me every day, but she didn't. Her tune changed quite a bit, actually. Suddenly, she refused to talk to me, claiming she was emotionally drained and needed space from me. I tried to make the best of my time away from her, but I knew in my heart that things were slowly falling apart. I'm not exactly sure how much time passed between then and the day she officially broke up with me, but my mom suspected it was coming soon, so she advised me to pretend like it didn't hurt me, even if it did. When she texted me that she needed to see me, part of me hoped that she was going to say that she was sorry for treating me how she did and that she wanted to work things out. Instead, she told me she had to break up with me, that she was moving back in with her parents, but I could visit our pets because we were going to share custody despite everything. I was upset, but I kept my cool like my mom told me to. She left and I broke down completely. The last time I saw her was the day I asked for final closure. A friend had asked me how I would feel if I had found out she had been cheating on me for the past couple of months. I told her I would probably want to kill myself. I asked her if she knew something I didn't and she said to ask her myself. Photos were then forwarded to me. I couldn't believe my eyes. There she was embracing someone else, kissing someone else, someone who wasn't me. I checked the date stamp. They were recent. My heart broke into a million pieces. I asked her straight up if she had been cheating on me. She said no. I asked if she was seeing someone else and she looked me square in the eyes and lied to my face. And I accepted it because what else could I do? And just like that, it was all over. And I was never to see or hear from her again. Sometimes when I reflect back on everything that was said and done, a part of me feels a little guilty for the way that things played out. The thing is, though, is that I couldn't help how I acted because my depression had fully taken over during that time. Well, everything she had done, or not done for that matter, was a conscious decision on her part. While I thought this girl was my soulmate at the time, I realize now that I couldn't have been more wrong. Being with my husband for the past four years has really enlightened me. I've come to the realization that it takes a really strong and resilient person to be in a healthy relationship with someone who struggles with their mental health. And obviously she was not the person then, nor the one going forward. But as you can imagine, at the time I was absolutely devastated. 
like I said, I thought she was the one. And I didn't know what I was going to do with myself anymore. Despite being told not to by my best friend, I listened to Adele's new album at the time on repeat. And there was a lot of aggressive singing and tear shed. I literally cried myself to sleep every night until my parents grew tired of it and decided they were going to take me to get the professional help that I had been promised. I was once again diagnosed with major depression and general anxiety disorder and was quickly put on an antidepressant. And you know what? For the first time in my life, I actually felt a glimmer of hope. I felt good, but the problem was I felt too good. Don't get me wrong. I was glad to have found my way out of the darkest time in my life, but I started to experience some really strange symptoms. I felt as if I could do anything. My self-esteem was the highest it had ever been. I hardly slept. I would stay up for days at a time, often rearranging my furniture in the middle of the night. I was constantly pacing around with racing thoughts of extravagant plans and ideas and became extremely frustrated when other people didn't understand my madness. I spent money like it was an unlimited asset and then suddenly I would come back down to earth. I didn't think anything of it and neither did my family. Well, aside from the rearranging my room in the middle of the night part, which was mostly just annoying to them. About a month after the official breakup, a friend introduced Introduced me to someone new. I regrettably rebounded with this girl almost immediately. And what should have been something short-lived developed into a very toxic long-term relationship. We were constantly fighting, breaking up, then making up. It was a horribly vicious cycle of chaos that was bound to crash and burn in the end. Then came the day that changed everything. We were in our car in the middle of yet another fight when I decided that I was 100% done with her shit. I told her to pull the car over and when she didn't, I grabbed an old cup of soda that was in her cup holder and threw it in her face. She immediately pulled over in disbelief. I got out and started walking. She followed me yelling at me to get back in the car. I refused. Then, in an attempt to lose her, I ran across traffic like Frogger to the other side of the street. She turned her car around in desperation, got out of the car, and started chasing me. I ran until I was out of breath and then finally agreed to get back in the car if she promised to just take me home. She agreed. We sat in silence on the way back to my house. When she pulled up in the driveway, she told me she loved me, that she was sorry, and that she understood why I wanted to break up. I burst into tears. I told her that I didn't know what was going on with me and all I knew that I was starting to slip into that dark place again and I was scared. I asked her not to leave me alone or else I would probably end up hurting myself that night. She told me to go in my house and sleep it off. I then refused to get out of her car. She called my parents, but it was late and both of their phones were off. So she did the only thing that she could think of doing, which was drive me to the emergency room down the street. At the ER, I was assessed by a team of mental health professionals with a whole slew of questions. How was I feeling? Okay, I guess. What did I mean when I said I was going to hurt myself? I don't know. Was I feeling suicidal? Maybe a little. Did I have plans to kill myself? No. Was I on any drugs? I was taking an antidepressant. Did that count? It was then decided that I would be admitted to the hospital on a 5150 for my own safety. Unfortunately, the nearest hospital with a psychiatric ward was full, so I had to be transferred to a mental hospital in East Jesus Nowhere. I started to panic. I did not want to go to a mental hospital. They gave me an anti-anxiety pill to calm me down. I quickly wrote a status on Facebook letting everyone know that I was being admitted to the hospital, and then the paramedics came to take me away. As I was being loaded onto the gurney, one of them asked me if I was going to be good or if they needed to strap my arms down. I told them I was just going to take a nap. 
because I was tired. Right before I left, my parents showed up clearly freaked out. My girlfriend said she was sorry and that she would be waiting for me when I came back. At this point, the anti-anxiety medication was in full effect and I told them all very calmly that everything was going to be okay and then I was off. Under the 5150, I was required to stay there a minimum of 72 hours on a suicide watch hold. My experience there was honestly one of the weirdest experiences that I've ever gone through to say the least. But as scary and confusing as it was navigating through it, it was very much necessary, in my opinion anyway. When I got there, I was placed in a room with two other women. One woman who told me she was there against her own will due to a sexual harassment case she was a part of and another woman who didn't talk the entire time I was there. They also took my shoelaces for safety. I decided if I couldn't have shoelaces, I did not want to wear shoes, period. So I pretty much wandered around the entire time barefoot. It wasn't until I talked to my godmother that I mentioned that they took away my shoes. So when she paid me a visit, she brought me socks. I still have them and refer to them as my mental illness socks. Sometimes I wear them when I need comfort. When I wasn't doing arts and crafts, I was in group therapy. I didn't like participating in them due to my social anxiety at first, but towards the end of my time there, I had been given so much anti-anxiety medication that I became a completely different person, constantly wanting to share my experiences, often interrupting others to give them unsolicited advice. I felt like I was constantly being asked to leave the room and go for a walk until I was calm enough to return. By the time my hold was up, I was told by one of the doctors that I needed to stay a little longer and if I refused, that I was going to be held against my will. I didn't want to be held against my will, so I agreed to stay longer. When I told one of the guys I had met there what had happened, he told me that if I had signed myself in to stay longer, that I had the right to leave against medical advice, and there was nothing they could do. So, after an hour, I asked to leave, and like you said, there was nothing they could do. When I got home, my parents, girlfriend, and I went over my post-treatment plan, which included finding both a therapist and psychiatrist as soon as possible. It also mentioned that I would benefit from having my own emotional support animal. My parents caved and said they would allow me to get a dog, but only if I committed to the other part of my plan, going to therapy and seeing a psychiatrist regularly. I agreed, and then my search for therapist, psychiatrist, and puppy commenced. I quickly found the therapist and psychiatrist no problem. The puppy search was a little bit more difficult. At first, I had wondered if I would be able to get my old puppy back, so I contacted my ex's dad who had the dog, and he told me to fuck off. I'm going to be honest, I was quite heartbroken, but I quickly moved on because everything happens for a reason. While I continued to search, I was finally properly diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder, which explained the weird symptoms I had been experiencing on the antidepressant, general anxiety disorder, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, and attention deficit disorder. This gave me so much relief to finally know what was wrong with me. I wanted a bigger dog like a lab or a golden retriever. My girlfriend thought it would be best if I got a smaller dog though and presented me with an ad for pug puppies she had found. I wasn't so sure. I argued that she was biased because she'd always wanted a pug, but she told me to be open-minded. I looked at the ad again. The puppies had been worn on my mom's birthday. It was almost like it was a sign. I asked my parents if they would be okay with me getting the girl and they said it was okay. So my girlfriend and I drove almost an hour and a half to get my puppy. It was love at first sight. She was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen in my life and I knew that she and I would be best friends for life. It's been nearly 10 years since that day and me and Miss Charlotte 
aka Charlie, have been through so much together. Many, many new relationships, followed by many, many breakups, multiple medication adjustments, new psychiatrists, new therapists. We even met and married my soulmate, Jacob. Oh, and we adopted her little brother, Rocky. He is by far the sweetest blue-nosed pit bull you will ever meet. My story is far from over, but I'm mostly in a good place now. I'm still going to therapy and taking a pretty good amount of medication to keep me stable, but I'm proud to say I haven't had a single suicidal thought or manic episode in years. Depressive episodes and anxiety are another story. They come and go as they please, but I'm thankfully getting a handle on them with the help of my dream team that includes my new therapist Morgan and my new psychiatrist Dr. Kleiman. I'm feeling good like I should and so very grateful to be alive and well enough to have been able to share my story with all of you. Well, that's all folks. I want to thank all of our listeners. If you want to connect with us, you can find us on all social media platforms, including Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and even TikTok at fine, I'm not fine pod. If you're currently experiencing a crisis, we suggest reaching out to someone you love or calling the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. Or if texting is your thing, you can text home that's H-O-M-E 2741741 to talk to someone from the crisis text line. I hope you have a genuinely fine day. Make sure to drink your water and join us next time.